Are you ready to realize the true potential in your life and help others do the same? Get equipped to create a thriving future with the Secrets of Success podcast. Inspire others to live, lead, and work on purpose. And experience the joy of watching satisfaction and productivity come to life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, do we have a delight today. You know, each week we want to share with you insights, something unique, uh, something powerful, strategies, ideas to take yourself to the next level. And we have an individual today who is called, his official title is Poetic Voice. Now, I admit I hadn't heard that before, and I've been in the speaking industry for 30 years. And he also has some strategies called Stage Might so that you have presence there. I'd like you to welcome to Secrets of Success, Seiko Andrews. Hello, hello, folks. What's happening? Well, Seiko, thank you for being with us. And, you know, we're going to get into your story here in a second, but poetic voice, what, what's that? <laughs> oh, you're probably only the first or the one millionth person to ask that question. Uh, so, yeah, let's let's get that clarity up front. Poetic voice is basically a new style of, of speaking, a new category of speaking that I created that is, in its simplest definition, it is the seamless integration of inspirational speaking and spoken word poetry together. Uh, so it's different from an artist or a poet or a performer who speaks where they typically perform and then they speak and they perform and you applaud and they speak and so forth. In this case, I wanted to create an experience where you didn't know where the, the poetry ended and the business content began and the theater ended and the comedy began and it became this sort of uh, almost like a, a keynote that's performed that leaves the audience leaning in because they can't quite get ahead of it because mm -hmm. the rhythm and delivery system is so is so unique. So that's that's what Poetic Voice is. Well, awesome. Thank you for that, Seiku. And by the way, listeners, uh, Seiku has had private audiences with Oprah, hung out with Larry King, Bono, just to name a few. And so, and you're doing a lot of speaking for Fortune 500 companies, in, including, you know, groups like Google. I don't know if anybody's heard of Google before. <laughs> you know, it's a new company that's out there. So, you know, congratulations on all your success and accolades, Seiku. But one of the things we like to do here is kind of get to know your journey. You know, where did you start from? Where were you born? And just the highlights and just inspirational points and decision-making points throughout your life. So, you know, where, did, where were you born and sort of your family makeup as you started this journey, Seiku? Well, it all started back in 19... No. Um, I was, <laughs> oh, I man, was, uh, you were just messing with me there. Okay, right, right. that's, that's it for you. <laughs> like I, a listener, like Seiku was just messing. He has a sense of humor. I'm sorry. You, you, can, uh, you, can, you can hear the violins playing and the guy in the rocking chair as he starts to go into the montage scene here. Um, the, uh, the origin story for me is, uh, began really in Berkeley. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Bay Area baby, Berkeley baby. Okay. And... Um, born to uh, very creative uh, parents, but also educators and entrepreneurs, which is why I'm very much the apple sitting right next to the tree, since my work is really a, a fusion of, of, you know, entrepreneurship and artistry and education. Um, and I was in the Bay Area until middle school, and then I, I left to go to D.C., <coughs> well, well that's, that's, was, hard, that's hardly close so that you know San Francisco, yeah Washington. listen it is I mean you talk about a tough transition I was not only not only did I change schools 
at one of the hardest grades, you know, seventh grade in terms right. of social adjustment. But I, I, I changed in the middle of the year in middle school. So I came like after Christmas in seventh grade mm. and I was the funny dressing, funny talking kid from California that moved to an entirely different world in Washington, D.C., different culture, different, you know, terms, all of it. So uh, so that was definitely a, a challenge in me sort of discovering myself, but also learning to kind of play in, in a different uh, in a different environment. And it's also where I ended up falling in love with the stage. Um, mm. My first play, my first uh, moment on stage was playing the lion in the movie, in the uh, play The Wiz. Okay. And I, I was smitten with the stage and I also discovered hip hop at the same time. And I began forming hip hop groups and I began doing theater and I pursued both through middle school, through high school, uh, through college. Uh, really, really a, a love and a lot of training and acting. I went to a school of the arts for a year and did a lot of plays at, at the college prep school that I ended up at and was producing demos and chasing record deals. And then I ended up having a little bit more um, opportunity in music than I did in acting, uh, more bites from record, record record labels. And so I began to pursue music a lot harder after college which led me to open mics to kind of build a fan base for my music. And that's where, you know, unbeknownst to me, I ended up accidentally falling in love with spoken word poetry, which was not the plan. Um, not the you plan. Know, what was, was the plan? The plan I was, saw, I saw in your LinkedIn, you were like an elementary school teacher. Where did that's you right. miss that? You skipped over that. I skipped over that part. So there were two tracks happening, right? There was the, there was the artistry track, which I, which I just, you know, outlined and detailed. And then there was the, you know, how to put food in your fridge track, right? And that was the, like, you know, where am I working? Where am I, how am I paying the rent? Um, and I was actually pre-law in college, graduated in, in, in uh, sociology with uh, the, the plan on becoming an entertainment attorney. And I went and worked at multiple law firms outside of college and ended up realizing that law wasn't quite right for me, didn't want to be the bitter entertainment attorney and negotiating record deals that I wish I had, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay. So I thought, let me go ahead and, and, and take a stab at entertainment. And so I decided to do uh, substitute teaching as sort of my transition, really. You know, that was like my actor waiter job, right? The job that gives you the freedom to go on the auditions and so forth. And, um, and so I did substitute teaching. I promised myself that I wouldn't become a full-time teacher because I knew I'd love it. I knew I'd be good at it, but I knew it ultimately wasn't what I wanted to do. And sure enough, about a, uh, almost a year later, I broke that promise and took a job as a full-time fifth grade teacher in South Central Los Angeles. And, so um, you came back from D.C. You yep, had to come back, back to the West Coast. Yep, yep. And, and ended up going back to, ended up going to college uh, here in L.A., Pitzer College in the Inland, Inland uh, Empire, uh, part of the Claremont Colleges, Pomona, Pitzer, Harvey Mudd, that group. Okay. And um, and loved it. You know, it was it was a, it was a great it was a great school and, and um, did a lot of molding for who it is that I've become both on the artistry side, um, on the creative side, on the academic side, on the social justice side, sort of all of it. And that's when I you know, that's when I left, began pursuing pursuing the music and um, decided to as I as I began to sort of build a fan base at spoken word venues, open mics, um, I, I realized, okay, teaching is not ultimately what I wanted to, what I want to do. And I knew that. And I, and my voice is meant for a different stage. And so, you know, but, but there is no industry for spoken word. So 
there was a you know a high level of trepidation in terms of taking that leap and saying well what is a what does a poet look like because at a certain point as i was going to open mics when i fell in love with poetry i got more excited about building a fan base and, and pioneering new trails for the spoken word than i did for you know sort of becoming the uh, sort of tossing my name into the sea of demos and headshots out there all chasing the same the same crumbs in um in hip-hop mm. and and acting, but it was like there's no model to follow for what a poet looks like. So that sort of was the was the beginning of me as a poet. I quit my job to become a full time poet, and that was about 15 years ago. And it's been it's been a hell of a ride ever since. Congratulations! Now, when you think about you know for our listeners, we want to leave them tidbits of sort of tipping points or decision points that our guests have had. What really was your tipping point to make that decision to make the leap what what did you go through who did you talk to uh what did you have to sort of embrace to to make the leap there were two major pivot points for me uh one was the pivot to become a full-time poet right because i mean if i ask you the question how many full-time poets do you know you can probably count them on somewhere between one hand to one finger well, I know one. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> this guy. Uh, so, so yeah, it, you know, there, like I said, there, was, there, there, were no, um, there were no models for me to follow or very few models for me to follow. And the typical trajectory of a full-time poet, to be honest, is, is you know, you, you, you're doing clubs and cafes locally and then maybe nationally. Maybe you expand to internationally. Uh, you're hoping that you sell enough CDs or, or, or chat books. You know, back then it was CDs, um, chat books. You know, now it's downloads. Hoping that you sell enough product and merchandise to pay your rent, you know. And then maybe you graduate to colleges and, you, and the, the checks might get bigger. Sometimes the shows get bigger. Sometimes the, the crowds actually get smaller and worse um, when, when you're imposing on people eating lunch at a student union <laughs> in the middle of the day. Um, but... Uh, but that's kind of it, you know, when I was coming up, it was like, that's kind of what you graduated to. And then beyond that, there was no, you know, if, if the clubs and cafes were the, were the bachelor's degree and the, and the, uh, colleges and school shows and maybe festivals and things like that were the masters, there wasn't really a PhD program, you know, after that, you kind of quit and you went into academia or you taught or you maybe you wrote a book or you went and got a job and you just did poetry as a hobby after that. Um, so very few people um, continued for the long term. And that's where the entrepreneur in me started to really kick in and say, no, I love this art form. And I think this art form is amazing. And it deserves to have a bigger seat at the table in media than it does. Mm -hmm. And that's where I found my passion place really being that, that sort of pivot point for me was was the passion of creating a commercially viable industry for the art form of spoken word, where more poets could make a purposeful and profitable living, you know, kind of in this notion of the of the broke poet. So that was sort of pivot point number one, where it was really me looking at the handful of, of other poets in my local community. You know, shout out to Shihan, shout out to, to Jaha, shout out to Lam AC, those, those folks that were both peers and mentors for me that, um, that I was sort of observing and studying and looking at their tactics and then, and then adding my own uh, path and trajectory to that. Um, and then, like I said, a after I, you know, I, I used my tax money to, 
to to buy to upgrade my recording studio, my home studio. I I, I uh, you know prepared my 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 principal at my school that I was going to be leaving at the end of the contract year and so forth. But then really the final step that most people don't actually take once you sort of primed everything else and prepared was to actually hold your nose, close your eyes, and take the leap. And um, and that was the the most difficult part of this was really having faith and saying, I've done everything that I can do and, I, and I'll regret if I don't actually see if this can play out, despite the odds, despite the fact that there's no industry, despite everything against me, um, you know, you got to you got to jump in. That was pivot point number one. The second point was, uh, you know, a few years later, as I was as I was doing um, work in various stages and began to move into business, but was still being positioned as entertainment, even in the business world. And yet, even though I was I was fighting for a seat at that table and fighting for a place on those stages, um, I was sort of told, hey, listen, you're just the entertainment value. That's that's sort of your entire value to us. And then after I presented, then suddenly it was like, oh, wow, you gave us more business value than half of our speakers, half of our executives. You know, you captured our message in a way that our communication department wasn't even able to, et cetera, et cetera. And. I realized there was this disconnect between the value that I knew that I could bring the industry and the parameters that existed. And that's when I recognized that there was this there was this sort of paradigm of the speakers are separate from the entertainers. And I was as an artist was considered entertainment, even though I was bringing the same value as speakers. So and there wasn't a word for that. Mm. And, And so that second pivot point was me me having the courage to tell the industry, no, I, I need to disrupt your status quo and I need to create a new term. I need to create a new word so that you don't feel like you have to choose between that, that uh, performance power and that presenter power. Um, and, that, and that gave birth to poetic voice as a speaking category. Where did, uh, where did that title come from? Because one of the things you do is really around branding too, right? Yep. Is, so where, where did this sort of inspiration to come up with this idea, poetic voice? It came because people were calling me all types of crap. You know, people were, I mean, again, I keep going back to poetry not having a model because there is no, there's no perceived value for poetry. You know, I did so many events where, the, you know, let's say if I was on a TV show or an entertainment gig, it was like the, the, the MC got paid, the, the dancer got paid, the bouncers got paid, but the poets did it for quote unquote exposure, right? Um, so there was no, it was always like you should be happy to have this stage, whereas Every other industry had unions and it had a sense of, you know, we know what a platinum artist is versus uh, an amateur artist, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And it was just the Wild West for our industry. And so a Mm. a big part of my goal was to actually create not just hits and lights and all of that and exposure, but to create monetary Mm. value for what it is that we do. Um, Well, sorry to interrupt for a second, Seiku. My question is really, how did you come up with that title? Right. So, 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 this not, is, uh, this, so this, as much why, but how, how did you have that inspiration? Oh, I think poetic voice as a brand has value. So, well, this is the backstory behind that. The reason is because in, in doing that in trying to create that value, I, I kept running into people that no matter what, no matter what it is that I was doing, no matter how I positioned myself, I was being introduced, I was being branded, I was being marketed as all kinds of crazy terms it would be like, you know, welcome Seku, the, the top street poet or number one hip hop word guy or like all these crazy titles. And I found myself going, none of this reflects what it is that I'm actually doing and the value that I'm adding. And the more I began to sort of talk to peers and mentors and other colleagues, 
the more they were like, you know, you're going to keep running into this until you own this space. And I remember there was a, uh, a quote. I was at a conference and I think it was uh, Bob Sugarman that that was saying, um, if you want to if you want to be number one in a category, create the category. And, and I had sort of that aha moment of, you know what, I need to own and define a new space instead of constantly taking these other terms. Now, here's the thing. I, I, what I was also being told was poetry is the word you're constantly running up against. So get rid of the word poetry. But here's where you have to decide, you know, how purpose driven you're going to be. For me, my purpose, my passion place was to was to create this industry, was to create value for poetry. So I couldn't neglect and abandon the word poetry and still be on purpose. Um, and yet I knew I needed to create something that was beyond all of the negative connotations that people had when they heard the word spoken word poetry. And they think slam poet, yelling at him for three minutes. They think Shakespeare. They think a beat poet. All these ideas that were not accurate, accurately reflecting what it is that I do. So after playing with a few terms like strategic storyteller. I did motivational poet for a while. I kept, you know, dipping and dabbing and trying to find something that was close. And then I just decided, let's just be brave enough to create a whole new term. Is it difficult? Yes, because I'm putting a new word onto the tongue of the industry. So people are constantly using it wrong. I appreciate you using it correctly. Seku is a poetic voice, not Seku's poetic voice. Or, you know, you're using it as a noun the same way you would use he's a motivational speaker, he's a business coach, he's a poetic voice. Well, but man, I'm it glad takes I got a lot of right. training for that, you know? <laughs> Say it again? I says, I'm glad I got that right. Yeah, I you feel did. so you much better, Seku. <laughs> you nailed it. Okay, well, that's great. Well, that's, that's interesting. So then you were inspired to come up with, and by the way, it resonates. It just really does. And you know when you, you've got it that you know that you have it because it just feels right, doesn't it? Yeah, that's great. I love hearing that because, you know, it, it, took, it took a lot and it continues to take a lot to, to get the industry and get the world to say. But, you know, every time you tell them what they are, they want to they respond by telling you what you are. And it takes, a, it takes a lot of sort of bravery and courage and persistence to continue to, to let the world know, no, this is something new and it's okay. I'll wait. I'll wait for you to mm -hmm. catch up, you know. Well, great. Well, thank you for that. I just want to digress to one point of your story earlier where you had to make the leap and you abandoned your safety net of the teacher's position. Mm -hmm. What would you say to other people listening who are kind of in the middle of that? What would be your poetic voice at this moment, your, your inspiration to me to consider to move over, to let go of the safety net? And, and jump into it? What would you say to my audience, our audience, your audience? I would tell you to, number one, keep your eyes on the prize and your perspective wide. And what I mean when I say that is creatives in particular, but entrepreneurs a lot, a lot of times, you know, we can very much be distract, highly, easily distractible. You know, um, it's, it's a constant world of squirrels and, and shiny objects. Um, and especially if we are skilled in multiple areas, then it's hard to focus. And so there does come a point at which you need to laser in, focus, hone your skills, build your network, uh, you know, create momentum, like lock in on something and actually pursue it and persist and not get distracted by all the other possibilities out there. Take something to fulfillment. Um, and yet, at the same time, we also need to make sure that we stop and assess you know, this is how people not doing this is how you, is how a lot of folks end up, you know, going through law school or, or med school, passing the bar or the boards, you know, going through all these years of training and then 
realizing they don't even want to be a doctor or, or an attorney. And that was their dad, mm. the mom's dream or whatever, um, because we become so laser focused that we never stop to actually say, is this the destination or is this a, simply a summit that I was supposed to reach so that I could pivot and see the destination that I wasn't able to see until I persisted and got to this point? And so there is this sort of keep your eyes locked on that prize and stay focused and vigilant, but also stop, widen your, widen your gaze, uh, widen your perspective, and make sure that you're assessing, because I would have never achieved poetic voice had I not had the courage to say, I'm going to pursue being a spoken word poet. And yes, along the way, I'm going to have to figure out what that looks like. But if I said, well, I don't know what it looks like, and therefore I'm not going to do it, I would have never been able to see that poetic voice is something that the industry uh, needs, that, that I, a hole that I could fill. So, you know, that's a, that's a real uh, uh, scary uh, but essential piece of advice mm-hmm. that I would give anyone that's standing at the edge of that cliff deciding whether, whether to jump. Okay. Well, I appreciate those words. I mean, our work is around helping others to live, lead, work on purpose. And what you're suggesting to them is to just really reflect and say, am I on this journey or is this a journey somebody else was prescribing to me or society was putting pressure on me? I imagine, and I'm just guessing, I could be wrong, Seku, that you had some feedback from people around your circle to say, what are you doing? (laughs) Why are you speaking in past tense? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you already have a track record. You don't have to listen to them now. I suspect... (laughs) You know, well, that other people that. around you were saying, well, no, 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 you should keep your teacher's job. So right, how, right. How do you deal with the feedback of well-meaning, not, you know, they're not going to live your life, so they're well-meaning, I get yeah. that, but they don't have your passion. So how did you deal with really pushing back this well-meaning kind of, uh, don't do that from your friends and family around you? And what would yeah. you say to the audience about that? Uh, you know, it's important. I keep going back to sort of um, self-awareness and 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 just checking in with yourself. That's and you also hear me keep going, continue to go back to um, being purposeful in what it is that you do and being honest with yourself. Uh, I think that it, it takes a it takes a lot of self-awareness and a lot of uh, self-determination. To, to do what it is that we do in this world, um, especially as entrepreneurs. I remember being in a studio session one time and someone, we were talking about Lauren Hill and what what it takes. I mean, she was such an incredible artist, like she kind of broke the mold. There's, there really hasn't been a Lauren Hill since Lauren Hill. And, you know, for her, for someone of her artistry and level of consciousness and and uh, ingenuity and all of that to achieve the multi multi platinum success that we did, that she did, you know, we were talking like, what does it take for that? And I remember them saying one of the things it takes is 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 someone constantly going to the next door, no matter how many doors are slammed in their face. Right. Mm. And as and we as entrepreneurs and, and creatives and artists and and, you know, masters of our own kingdom, we have to be that person sometimes that's willing to continue to go to the next door when the doors are slammed in our face. And yet the the flip side of that is. We've all seen, you know, the first episode of, of American Idol, <laughs> you know, and the first episode of the first season when folks are standing on the stage that are just horrific in their singing and no one ever told them they never paid. Like, it, it's like you're watching them for the first time being told on national television, you sound horrible, you know, mm-hmm. 
And, and so I think that we have to be careful about not being so stubborn in our self-determination and our perseverance that we're not willing to listen to criticism and not willing to adjust. And we're not willing to be honest mm-hmm. with ourselves about what our strengths and our weaknesses are and what our, our real intention is, what our purpose is, where our passion place is, and not just be, uh, like I said, chasing the squirrels and the shiny objects out there simply because we can or we like it or we enjoy mm-hmm. it, but to really pay attention and find that balance between your passion and your purpose but also your, your, your strengths and your, your areas that you know that you shine in a way that is unlike any other. Mm, mm, well, thank you for that, Seku. Now, I want to get to uh, Stage Might in a little bit. Before I get that, and you know, I was watching some of your videos before we came on air, Seku, share with the audience what your message is, because a lot of your, of course, testimonials are the best of the best of people in the comments for you. And, and that's great. We all do that. So what is your inspirational message that you have to people that they're listening? What, what is really your story that you're telling to other people about? This is, these are some principles that I am teaching that you want to share with the audience today. Well, I know it's a big question. Yeah. But I know you can handle it. <laughs> yeah, I can. Uh, I, it's, it's a multi-layered question, and the the two sides of it are on one end there's there's me and my my sort of personal message and what it is that I'm trying to convey. <clears throat> but I also do a lot of work um, with uh, just a complete plethora of industries. Like it's so diverse, and I'm not like the social media guy that gets up and talks to every company about social media. For me, I'm, I'm really diabetes on Monday and cloud computing Tuesday and shoes Wednesday and social justice Thursday, you know. So, uh, and, and a lot of times it's heavily customized work just due to the nature of, of poetic voice. And so people are always asking, like, how, how is it that you can speak to such divergent industries? And part of the, the reason is because I'm always looking for that underlying universal human thread. And so I think the message that I'm bringing probably most consistently, despite the industry, despite the audience, is is to make sure that we ground ourselves in our humanity, to make sure that we are um, embracing the power of sharing our story, um, to make sure that we're finding the, the, the deepest ways to connect with other human beings, because that's what gets through our differences and our silos and our walls and whether it's the, the business terms like our divisions, departments and silos or whether it's the, the human, you know, personal terms like our, our ethnicities and our religions and our, and, our, and our divisions, our geographic divisions, et cetera, et cetera. It's the same thing. Like it's finding yourself in someone else in a way that connects you deeply and helps you to uncover new possibilities. And that's what I that's the inspiration that I want to spread most is to give people new possibilities, possibilities that they that weren't within their grasp before they heard me contextualize a message in, in a way that struck them differently and struck them passionately and struck them in an, in an electric way that ignited something in them. That's really what it is that I'm trying to pass people. And that's why you hear such a focus on storytelling, why you hear such a focus on the power of communication, dynamic range of communication, et cetera, et cetera, because there's this if we're going to unlock a, this this power in our audiences whether you're a, in, any kind of leader any kind of influencer any kind of executive we have to first unlock that power within ourselves and that's that's what i want to leave people with most 
Thank you, Sekou. You, you've touched on a couple of things that are really, really big. And of course, you know, our number one sort of expertise is this whole space of self-awareness through our, all of our assessments on personality, the leadership, the self-worth, the values, whatever. The other item that you really talked about with, and I have a, a, a word here is authenticity. Yep. Talk to us a little bit more about, you know, how, what is it that people are, I guess, not doing or doing that you want them to stop? to be able to transition into this deeper connection. Because you know, everybody talks about social media and Facebook and all these things. I'm more connected than ever before, but I'm more lonely than I've ever been before. We all know the research, right? Yep. And so what is it that people, what are they not doing or what are they doing that they need to stop doing to start transitioning into your recommendation, Sekou? I love that you brought up authenticity uh, because, I, you know, one of the things I say often is uh, – I believe an inspirational speaker should be inspirational. So that's not my, my litmus test for my success when I step on stage. For me, it really is authenticity. And, what, and how that shows up for me is if I'm speaking to cardiologists and they walk up to me afterwards, confused looking and say, wait, so you're not a doctor? That's when I'm really kind of popping my collar and, and brushing my shoulders off and patting myself on the back uh, because I have, I have managed to blur the line between them and me in a very authentic way. And I didn't get up there and say, hi, I'm Dr. You know, Physician Seiku Andrews. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I just began to talk to them in a language that, that they, they took ownership of. And I began to share stories that they internalized. And, and I began to blur the differences between me and them right? and, and in whatever form the, the, the me versus them showed up. And, and that to me is what I encourage people to do when they communicate is to, number one, don't speak to people like they are business cards. You know, don't talk to people like you're trying to deliver bullet points. Get beyond your, your business messaging, your corporate messaging, your, your calls to action, um, and, and be brave enough to reveal something very authentic and, and, and personal um, about yourself. Because the power of storytelling, the power of us sharing our stories is that we give someone the opportunity to find themselves in us. And what happens is the more walls that we put up, the, the tighter our ties are, the more buttoned up our blazers are, uh, the more walls we put up, the, the, the more we reach people maybe on a cerebral informational level, but not on an emotional and inspirational level. And the more we begin to crack down our own walls and say, you know, hey, listen, I'm just going to talk to you about this. Or here's a fear that I had. Or here's a, here's a challenge that I dealt with. Or here's a triumph that I want to celebrate. The more people begin to find themselves in us and and you begin to connect with human beings. I always say the best way to connect with a human being is to first be a human being. So don't talk to folks like bullet points and business cards. Talk to folks like human beings. And what you'll find is that instead of getting up there and feeling like you have to prove your, or prove your authority or prove your competency, you know, I tell executives that I'm training, don't get up there and prove that you're CEO because that's not what people came for. They, they came to hear you reassure them that they're in the right place that you share their dreams, that you know what, what it is that they're seeking, that you understand their fears, that you are the partner that can help them get to where it is that they want to go. And that's whether you're their boss or whether you're a consultant or whether you're a speaker on a main stage or whatever it is. So the more you break down those walls, speak with authenticity and make sure that you focus on striving for the human connection first. As soon as you unlock that human connection, 
You toss in all the messaging, you toss in all the bullet points, you toss in all your business language, and you can take them wherever it is you want to go. So true, so true. Well, hey, listen, you have a fan already. I agree, (laughs) I agree. Well, we know the power of story. So we have a lot of people out there that don't do it. There are some, I'll call it, a little more stuffy environments. Let's say I'm a person who's not used to sort of sharing who I am that easily. Uh, and sometimes maybe I have a false belief seku about, oh, it's arrogant or egotistical to share about myself. Let's say you're coaching me one-on-one. I'm your listener now. What would you say to me to start taking little micro baby steps to do what you just said, be more authentic with people? I have a storytelling training called Insist on Story. And of all the names that I started to come up with, the reason why I kept coming back to insist on stories because I realized that no matter what techniques, storytelling and communication techniques I was teaching people, it was all for naught if they could not first see themselves and embrace themselves as a storyteller. And one of the biggest challenges that I get, especially the higher up you get on the executive ladder, um, is I'm not a storyteller. I'm not good at storytelling. That's not my thing. And I call BS every time. And I tell them, listen, you will leave this event, this, this corporate event, this job, this headquarters, and you will go tell five to 10 to 20 stories tonight before you go to bed. You will be at the networking dinner and you'll, oh, how did you guys meet? Oh, let me tell you this funny story. And oh, guess what my kid did today? And, and oh my gosh, you know, I had this epiphany mm. today at work. Let me tell you about it. Like you, as soon as you begin loosening your tie and unbuttoning the blazer and you begin talking to human beings without an agenda, you become a natural storyteller. Oh, 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 you said something very important there, my friend. Storytelling without an agenda. That's right. Please explain that. That's right, because the problem with people saying that that I'm not a storyteller is that, you know, I'm not good at it or it's unprofessional or it's, you know, whatever it is, is because they're putting themselves in this box of here's what a blank does. Here's what a professional does. Here's what an authority does. Here's what an executive does. And they have this this sort of self-defined box you know, this, this, this paradigm that they've given us, these, these parameters that they've given themselves uh, for what can and cannot happen within that context. And the moment that they let go of that agenda, and they, like I said, it goes back to me saying, don't get up there on stage and talk to people like you're trying to prove that you're CEO. Let go of that agenda. No one ever came to an event and said, let me see if Ken is really CEO. You know what I mean? And so Mm. the moment that you recognize that that is not what they're there for, that is not what will move them, that is not what you'll what uh, how you'll connect with them, then you begin to define a new agenda and and the new agenda becomes move them, connect with them like it becomes that broad and it becomes a much more human agenda. And it's not that you remove all strategy from that, but it's that you reverse the goal. Instead of deciding, I'll start with the strategy, I'll start with the data, I'll start with the bullet points and the information, and then I'll toss in story if I have time or if I find myself able to. The reason why I call it insist on stories because I want you to train yourself to start with the story first, to insist on finding those human stories that will connect with people on a human level, no matter what your division is. I'm talking about marketing. I'm talking about sales. I'm talking about HR. I'm talking about every single division. Because at the end of the day, 
until robots take over the world <laughs> and Skynet falls, we are, <laughs> we're all dealing with human beings. And so, and even when that happens, to be honest, as we talk about as we move into AI and machine learning and deep learning and so forth, it, it makes our soft skills as, as connectors, as human beings, as storytellers, even that much more important in terms of reassuring customers once they get through the technological process. So the more you release that agenda of what you think people are coming for based on your business perspective, and you, and you acknowledge that whoever, whatever they're coming for, they're coming as human beings, and you reach the human being first but through the story first, then once you connect that story back to the data, then what you do is you, you, you do what I call making the data um, you know, when you, when you embed story into, uh, sorry, when you embed data into a story, what you do is that you make the data unrecognizable, but unmissable, meaning as it's coming, I don't recognize that it's happening. I don't feel like I'm listening to someone that's teaching me or that's giving me the information. But, the, but afterwards, as soon as the story's done, I realized I learned everything that I came to know. I got everything that I wanted to, know, to, 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 uh, to receive, and it's unmissable. And that should be your goal. Thank you. Thank you for that. Now, I want one sort of controversial point, and I suspect, Sekou, you've met individuals like this, where they never stop talking about themselves in a <laughs> conversation. And, and so there's this balance, this, okay, yes, I want you to have story. On the other hand, will you ever shut up? And then we've seen that. So, so where's the balance? Where's the, the sort of the insight on that? So here's what, I, here's what I want you as audience members to do. I want you to begin paying attention. First of all, I want you to, to take a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle. And on one side, I want you to write your, your messaging, the points that you feel, the information, the data that you feel is important for you to get across. For your, you know, for your authority, for your business, for the relevance to the to to an event, you know, to your audience, et cetera, et cetera, um, and just you know, make it a brainstorm. And then on the other side of the line, I want you, and this is an ongoing project, so it doesn't have to be done all in one session, but ongoingly, I want you to begin paying attention to the stories that you tell in your life, the stories that you love to tell, the stories that you tell with enthusiasm. The stories at the at the networking and the dinner party and and to your family and to your daughter or your son or whoever it is, I want you to just start paying attention to those stories and I want you to jot down just a keyword or phrase that will remind you of that story. And you do that on that on that maybe maybe that left side of the page and on the right side of the page you've got you've got your data point and your messaging. And as you begin to fill up this single page, second page, fourth page, tenth page, what with these two sides. What I want you to then do as the third step, and this is not until, you can't do this until you've filled up you know, a few pages with both of these sides, is then you begin to draw a line from uh, one side to the other, where you can sit back and say, okay, I'm looking at you know, message bullet point number three that I need to convey. Um, what story do I have? that could help me convey that, that could set that message up, that could give me an access point to that information in a way that's unrecognizable. Oh, down here, story number eight on this page actually sets this up beautifully. This story about my daughter and her overcoming this challenge in you know, school or whatever it is sets up 
this data point that I need to people people to recognize about <clears throat> about you know us. Uh, embracing disruption or whatever it is, right? And so you begin mm. to draw those lines and connect those dots. And what that does is that it doesn't leave you. What, what you begin to realize is that in strategic storytelling, it's not about one or the other. It's not about, oh, only the, death, the data is important, that, that, that right side, or only the stories are important, that left side. But you begin to recognize that there's a dance that they have to do. And the more that you start off with that personal story, it could be a story from your life. It could be a story from someone else's life, someone else's life. It could be a story that you read online. It doesn't really matter. But the more that you begin to take the I, I, I part of the story and you connect it to the we, 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 or you, you, you message in the data, mm. the more you create that sort of universal we, that us, that isn't just self-aggrandizing, isn't just narcissistic, isn't just let me tell you another great thing about me, but you begin to make sure that each story leads to a point that is relevant to that audience, but it, but it draws them in and they internalize that point through something that was personalized. So the agenda really is reversed for us to right, Seku, where some people can't, it's not about III, it's how the story serves a purpose, how the story serves the audience. And, you know, both of us as presenters, we understand that. Sometimes it takes some presenters decades to learn it, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, for, so, so thank you for that. Now, we have about, oh, about 10 minutes or so left in the show, Seku. So when we think about one of the number one fears in life for people, and that is really speaking in front of an audience. Now, I suspect that some people listening to the show said, well, that doesn't really apply to me. Well, Whenever I have to present in front of others for whatever purpose, you know, from an interview to selling my product to somebody or a leader that's going to be listened around my staff, that is, quote unquote, stage presence. And so you have stage might. And if you could just take a few minutes and share with us about, you know, how do people establish this presence in front of others and confidence in front of others? I've never had this stage presence, so I can't relate to this fact that people would rather die than they would speak in front of an audience. I don't, <laughs> I don't get that. So, and people say, you must get nervous. And I said, I don't anymore. And I get excited because I, yeah. I want to get going. So like a racehorse. So for yeah. the people that are out there, if you were to leave your sort of high level insights about influencing others and communicating to others and being in front of them beyond this idea of story, what are some of the other items that you have in, in your stage, Mike, that you talk about? Well, you know, it's funny when you talk about getting, getting nervous uh, and, and, and getting excited. You know, physiologically, nervousness and excitement show up in many of the same ways. And it's just how we, you know, how they affect us, how we contextualize them, what it is that we think that they mean, the meaning that we ascribe to them. And I always tell people, to your point, the goal is not to, you know, end nervousness or to, to completely remove nervousness because we've all seen that speaker that's so polished, so robotic, so rote that it's just, you know, they're just too perfect. There's, some, there's a disconnect there. We don't feel like, there's a, like they're, they're present and with us in the moment. They're just going through the, the motions of the speech they've given a thousand times. Um, and that's sort of what the, what the complete elimination of nervousness can look like. There's no stakes. You have no stakes in the game anymore. Mm. And 
we as an artist, as an audience, want you to know, we, I mean, sorry, we want to know that you were there with us. We want to know that you were present, that this is important to you, that you're passionate about this. We want to know that you are, uh, you know, that you're not flawless because we're flawed. We're, you know, we're dealing with challenges as an audience. And so if you appear too flawless, then you, then you sever your access point to us. Uh, and so I always say instead what you want to do is you want to, uh, one of the one of the lessons that I give in stage might around nervousness is one of the early lessons. Um, I call it give your nerves a W-2 and make them work for you. Ultimately, you want your nerves to be working for you. You want them to be employees of your of your uh, mission and your intention on that stage. And so there are there are ways that you can do that. And one of the main ones psychologically is to recognize that the the the, the directly proportionate relationship between nervousness and confidence. You know, people are looking for ways to get rid of nervousness. And I always tell them, raise your confidence, you decrease your nervousness. And so I focus in stage might on increasing your confidence, on increasing your swagger, on increasing your might when you walk onto a stage. Because the more that you feel like I can do no wrong, then the less nervousness has, a con has control over you. And instead, nervousness just helps to keep you present and focused, heighten your awareness, heighten your alertness, you know, all those things. And it shows up the same way um, as excitement does and passion does and so forth. Uh, and so this was the real principle behind Stage Mind. I had a lot of speaker training programs that I encountered and I saw the people were doing, and many of them were great. Some of them weren't, you know, and I felt like some of them were really just focused on basically, basically helping people to suck less as a speaker. You know, let's let's so get you to say, say, maybe you can help. Sorry, I'm an interruptive interviewer just because you have some right. really good gems is what are some of the things that are being taught out there that you disagree with that you want to maybe kind of say that's not the best advice? Well, technique wise, there's not a lot that I disagree with. I think that sucking less is good. It's just not the end game. It's just not all you can be. So say, for example, um, you know, if you got a program that teaches you how to eliminate your ums, right, all the little sort of verbal tics that we have, <clears throat> that's great. I've got verbal tics. I'm constantly working on myself with that. I have ones that I've gotten rid of, and then three years later, a new one pops up out of nowhere. So I think that's great. If you're saying um a bunch during a speech, then that's detrimental to your message. So, yes, grab that clicker, count those ums, start focusing on getting rid of them. Another but one out there you is uh, you know. So, so, right. The, oh, exactly. The likes that say, the you know, and the and the right, you like, all of those, you know. Um, well, we have to be conscious of it, don't we? We have to be very conscious of it. But then here's the thing: once you get rid of the ums and the likes and the you knows, you're not magically an amazing speaker. <laughs> you're just better than you were when you were saying um a million times, right? That doesn't necessarily make you mighty. So for me, it wasn't so much I disagree with that that policy of let's get rid of the ums but it but for me my approach to stage might was saying i i created a successful created a successful speaking career never having been trained as a speaker and going through that formal speaker training i was trained as a performer and what being trained as a performer did was that it unlocked an entire dynamic range of my communication power that i that you typically don't get in speaker training and it, and it unlocks a mindset of how it is a performer approaches the stage that's very different 
than the way a speaker perform, uh, a speaker approaches the stage. And that's what I wanted to teach people. It's the mighty aspect. It's recognizing that a performer goes on saying, I will be mightier than my mistakes. Not just I will eliminate my mistakes, but my mistakes do not define how mighty I can be. And that's mm-hmm. why when Beyonce trips and falls on a stage and it gets, <laughs> you know, 16 million uh, uh, whatever, you know, YouTube Views. hits, yeah. doesn't stop Beyonce from being one of the mightiest performers ever to grace the stage. Because the performer doesn't define themselves by those mistakes. We say there's a bigger transformative effect that I can have if I rise above those. And so the training that I give in Stage Might is performance training to apply to business stages so that you can learn from uh, actors and songwriters and dancers and improv artists on how to unlock that dynamic range Mm. to make you mighty on any stage you touch. Well, Seiko, to support yours, one of the best coaches in speaking profession uh, was a theatrical professor at University of Washington and part of my National Speakers Association chapter in Seattle. And so it was really about the stage presence and the theater, what you talked about, how you show and how you breathe and how you carry yourself, which speaks louder than your words to start with. So check, 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 check on all of those items. Absolutely. Now, I love that. A, and to be honest, just to sure. add really quickly, I love that I, you know, more and more I'm seeing more speaker trainers embrace this. Now, what happens is they, they, they may come from an acting background or they may come from an improv background or you, know, you have speakers that take an acting class or take one improv session and so forth. That's great. You get a few techniques. But again, the difference is uh, one of the things that I wanted to sort of up-level that with is to say, let's, let's move beyond just the techniques from one industry or another and let's recognize the way that a performer thinks when you when you go backstage at a at a at a dance concert or or a play that 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 actor is is getting into an emotional and mental state they're learning how to own every aspect of aspect of them uh, of their of their communication power to be able to bring complete authenticity to the role that they're playing so that you can never see them acting and you don't know the difference between Meryl Streep and and uh, Margaret Thatcher or Jamie Foxx and, and Ray Charles I want you to be able to sort of approach you on stage with that same sort of power that an actor and a dancer and any kind of performer thinks of how it is that I harness that energy. So a lot of it is mindset and approach in addition to specific techniques. And that's what I love about unlocking uh, that that power in people because they resist it, they resist it, they resist it. And then as soon as there's that click and they get it, it's like a whole new world opens up. Uh, doesn't it though? Now, would you say that uh, pretty well anybody can overcome some of those blocks if they put their mind to it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to varying degrees, you know, we're not all Picasso, but we can all learn to paint. So I think that um, it's not about, sometimes people dismiss things as I did at the very beginning of, oh, this is just my magic. I can't teach this. This is my genius. And then you realize that there's a point where the magic ends and the mastery begins. And that mastery part is the part that is teachable for me and learnable uh, by others. And so absolutely, everyone can unlock more power than they are showing, no matter how professional or how amateur they are as a speaker. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's a matter of, of unlocking the skills not to give you my magic, but to unlock your own unique magic and make you more powerful in what it is that you do. Well, just to affirm that, I mean, I've been in the industry for 30 years, Seku, and five years ago something happened. I can hardly even describe it, but it just went to another level of just really being grounded and centered in myself after doing it for 25 years. 
So they're just, you mean, when you think about how Harrison Ford and some of the stuff that he's doing, or Anthony Hopkins, and as they both get into their, close to their 80s, or if not in there, you know, they don't even really care what anybody thinks anymore. They're just in their state. <laughs> That's right. So I just want to encourage everybody else. You, you never get there. You're always getting there. It's an active tense word. So Seku, how would people, um, we're going to end with some uh, tidbits and wisdom from you. But before that, how can people find out more about you and where they could even, you know, go to hire you as a speaker or learn about your coaching or your programs or your CDs that you have? Uh, Google me, baby. <laughs> so spell, out, spell out your name. Yeah. S-E-K, S is in Sam, E-K-O-U, Andrews.com is the website. Um, on there, you can find information about my, my speaking as a poetic voice, as well as my, my stage might offerings. Uh, as of right now, there are three offerings. There are, there's stage might online, which is my online course, five, you know, five week, five <coughs> webinar uh, video training course that, that takes you through a lot of the, the specific techniques in stage might and that mentality. There is uh, the virtual VIP program for folks that want more high touch training, more one-on-one training, where I get together a lot of times with executives and entrepreneurs, and we do um, across the country or local video training online. If they're very local and they want to you know, meet up, then we can do that as well. And it's just that sort of one-on-one um, coaching for a particular package in a number of sessions. And then um, there's also Stage Might X, which is the executive group coaching. And that's a lot of times when I go and I speak for a Google or a Cisco, and then afterwards they want to bring me in to train more of their sales teams or their communication leaders, et cetera, et cetera, on how to create more dynamic communication and personal connection in their, in their leadership. And so that's the executive group training. Uh, the one thing you do want to make sure that you join my mailing list and, and join my tribe so that you can be on the lookout for is uh, Stage Might Live. Uh, I, you know, I've been so busy on the speaking road and working on other entertainment projects and so forth that I haven't yet done what everyone's waiting for me to do, which is, you know, the, that model that everyone else is doing and grab, grab that hotel conference room or grab that training space and, and let's figure out a weekend and let's get everyone together and, and you know, you buy it, buy mm-hmm. your ticket and fly in and we'll do a group, uh, a group training session. Um, I haven't done a stage my live yet. It is in the works. So make sure that you uh, join my tribe. And in the meantime, you'll get inspirations, you'll get um, videos of my work, of my presentations, you'll get speaking tips and business and entrepreneurial tips, and then you'll be, uh, you know, first in line to know both when I'm speaking or performing near you, as well as when I'm, uh, when I'm finally doing a, an open group training. Okay, well, thanks, Seiko. So that's Seiku Andrews. S-E-K-O-U, Andrews.com. That's right. And they get on his list. And I've watched some of your videos. I like them a lot. And they're inspirational for sure. So Thank Andrew you. To, or Andrew, now I'm calling you Andrew. Thank you, too. <laughs> a little dyslexic moment there. So to kind of wrap this up, you know, you've, you've done a, a lot of interaction with others. You've had people come to you afterwards. What would be sort of the inspirational secrets of success, elements, tips of wisdom, two or three or four things that you would just recommend to the audience for them to, you know, realize their purpose and live an inspirational life as you're teaching. What would that, what would you say to me? First, I would say be a lifelong learner. Um, Never stop valuing education. Never stop growing yourself. 
you are not you you know who you will be is not who you are um, unless you stop growing yourself stop fertilizing yourself with um, with education so keep learning um, and, and keep the second I would say keep stretching yourself um, so so don't just learn but also push yourself into scary places you know one of the things I tell a lot of the the speaking my, my, my speaker trainees is uh, do one thing on stage in every presentation that is new if you're an amateur and if you're a professional and you're, and you're more advanced do one thing that's scary on stage every time do something that's risky on stage every time and watch how it grows you watch how it keeps you present watch how it heightens your ability to connect with others uh, so do that in your life as well and push yourself into those fearful places so that you can uncover parts of you and possibilities in you that that you didn't even know existed because they were shrouded in darkness um, and third I would say really really work on finding your your voice um, of, of really do some purpose work and and take purpose very seriously because it's that it's that compass that will guide you through all of the distractions through all the fearful places through the things that go bump in the night and will keep you grounded in, in who you are and what you were put on this planet to do. And as you begin to harness your voice, you will you will recognize that, you know, it's like one of the lines that I say in, in a piece that says, if, you're, if your truth calls in the middle of life's forest and you ain't even there to hear it, it will not make a sound, a mark, or a difference. So what's mm. the point of showing up to life if you don't announce you're there? Be voiceful. Clear your throat. You got something to say. Be voiceful. Clear the smoke. Clear the darkness. Clear the way. Clear the path to your potential and scale the peaks of your fears and then bellow from the summit for the whole world to hear. That's what I want you to make sure that you're doing. We all have a vision for our life, but your vision is only as powerful as your voice. So anchor yourself in your purpose and then learn how to speak and communicate and, and shout that purpose from the mountaintops as powerfully as possible so that you can impact as many people as possible in this life of ours. And there came the poet. That's that was right. <laughs> awesome. That was poetic. Well, thank you, Seku, for being on the show. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Though. Well, SOS listeners you have it i mean seku's got it he he knows what we teach every week we harp on this about getting connected to your purpose and think about that lifelong learning you know life's not boring then you continue and stretch yourself grow do something crazy this week that you haven't done before hey if it's skydiving that stretch will help you on stage or working with other individuals and take all the tidbits, the secrets, the ideas that Seku has shared with you today and go to the next level and contact him if you need to help, have some help on the stage or grow or want to have him come to your organization. Now, as we end all the shows, we just thank you for spending the most valuable commodity, your time with us today. If you like what we're doing, share, pass on, leave some positive comments, and we really, really appreciate the fact that you've joined us. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the Secrets of Success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.